Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I'm talking to Hannah Munro from ITAS. Hannah, hello. Hi, Kevin. Lovely to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Hannah, tell me a little bit about what ITAS do. So, um, so ITAS are an award-winning Sage partner, but what we actually do is financial transformation. So we help forward-thinking CFOs really drive productivity, accelerate analytics, all through the use of technology. But it, it does tend to go a bit wider than that, to be very fair. Yeah, so today's subject, we're looking at um, transformation and the basic steps of how you go about transforming finance. Uh, so I guess that's something you've got loads and loads of experience with through ITAS. Well, yeah. So I've actually been, um, you know, helping businesses uh, transform, as you like to put it, for around about 10 years, actually, now. I was uh, I was very in- <laughs> excited and slightly worried to actually say I've been doing it for a decade. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's an interesting piece, and it's not just about the technology. And that's one of the things that I find fascinating is so I come at it from a slightly different angle to most accounting system implementers in that I've got a background in analytics and process design. So for me, transformation is all about sort of three core elements, which is people, processes and technology. So and all three are incredibly important. You can't have one element without the others. Um, mm. you, know, you could pick the best technology in the world, but if your people aren't in, you know, engaged and motivated and willing to make those changes, then unfortunately it's, it's not going to work. Um, and the, the opposite is true. So if you've not got the right technology for your business, it doesn't matter how keen your team are, how motivated and how good your processes are, it's, it will hold you up. And, and what we do find is particularly with finances, actually a lot of the processes, particularly the poor ones that are really um, slowing teams down are down to people having to work around the technology limitations that they've got or um, limitations throughout the rest of the organization. Yeah. And I, I can second that. And what one of the, the things that I've worked on a lot over the years in consulting is benefits realization. And when I'm putting together a benefits map, I'll always break every change down into those three headings, people, process, and systems. And generally you find that unless you get all three right, you're not going to achieve the change. No, and I think, you know, there's lots of science and research behind, you know, driving change. And and I think this is the, the challenge that a lot of people face is they just think if they make really good decisions as to what change they're going to make, that it's just going to work. Um, and, it, and it doesn't because, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day, um, even in finance, even though we're incredibly analytical and process driven, actually, um, it, if a lot of it comes down to how you structure the change, how you actually go through that change process. So um, for those, you know, for your audience, Cotter um, is one of the, the leading change authorities. If, you know, if you've done any kind of change management, you will have heard of um, Cotter. He actually wrote a brilliant book called Leading Change. Um, and he talks about the change process and actually what's really interesting is it has evolved since he first brought out you know the the theory behind change and what it comes down to is motivation and building like a what I think of it as a wave of change that sort of encompasses the organization so you start off by creating a, a sense of urgency and you would have seen this you know why do you actually need to change and if you get that urgency um, embedded within your team you will automatically see a shift so things start to move so you figure out so why is it that you need to change and actually build some 
you know, some real value around that. So is it because you're about to expand and acquire three new companies and, you, you know, you've got to be able to cope with that? Is it that the, the business is growing and you need to be able to cope with that element? Is it, you know, is it that you're going through COVID and now actually you need to shift to remote working? What are the changes that need to be made? Whatever the scenario, you need to create that sense of urgency. And that's, that's something very big right now, that's that COVID thing. And we had a question actually within one of the Grow CFO forums a few days ago, somebody asking, well, why have the sales of zero gone up so hugely over the last few months? And not understanding it. But then I said, well, that's obvious. It's a cloud solution. This is being driven entirely by people that have been using for years and years and years an on-premise solution. Suddenly, they have got a huge burning platform that they're locked out of the office. They've got to be able to work remotely. They've got to have a cloud system. Dead um, right. Yeah, no, and because hmm. I'm going to be honest and say a lot of people um, still using spreadsheets, even with the shift to MTD, right? There was a lot of people out there still using spreadsheets. And spreadsheets work if you have, you know, you have your 365 shared environment and all of this. But it's it's not going to allow you to manage things like, you know, your invoices coming in. So where are they stored? How are you going to access? Because it's more it's not just about the access to the system. It's the processes that go around that. So how do you you know how do you manage supplier emails coming in with invoices? I, I was amazed. I went around. I was speaking to somebody and because obviously we work with a couple of different cloud products and and they were saying, well, we you know we still print out the even though we get them in our inboxes we still print out the supplier invoices and I was like what and she's like yeah the best thing about COVID is I managed to get my team to stop printing the invoices to enter them to actually just enter them directly from their screens so I, I do think COVID has had some amazing changes and shifts and you know, um, to me you, know, you get an invoice from a customer well it should go straight through a piece of software that puts it in your accounting system automatically it, it can extract the supplier information, it can extract the VAT number, it can extract the quantity, the price, and it can put a photograph or electronic image of the invoice against the transaction. Why on earth would you want to print out a bit of paper? Well, do you know what? This is the bit I've, um, I, I get excited about is because people don't actually, they think that this technology is so out there and it's not accessible or it's, you know, or they don't even know it exists. And I think that's the exciting part, particularly what I do is actually making people aware of what technology can do. Um, and, you know, helping them to figure out how to make it work for them as as an individual. But exactly what you said, you know, how do they, you know, how do people not know this? But if you're doing your job um, day in, day out, and you have not worked for lots of different places, or you've not shifted job roles, then it's unlikely you will know because you, you just keep doing your day to day. And I think that's my shout out to a lot of people listening is actually take the time to really think about what you're doing. The amount of times I go out to places and the answer I get is well, I, when I ask, why are you doing things like that? It's because that's the way we've always done it. And that for me is, you know, is, is probably the, one of the worst possible reasons in the world to do a process in a particular way. Um, and so I guess that's, that's one of the challenges that people face, I think, is they're so focused on their day-to-day that they're not actually taking the time to step back and think about where do we go next? How do we make this better? And if you think about all of the principles of agile and change management is actually, you know, that continuous improvement mindset is something that I think finance really needs to develop. Yeah. So 
we we talked there about the the need for well, I, I like to call it a burning platform to change. I if like you haven't got a burning platform, you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> so we, we've, <laughs> yeah, we, we've got this burning platform. Where would where would Cotter say go next? So well, you know, if there are the, the next thing is to build a his official term is a guiding coalition, right? But what that basically guiding coalition that <laughs> sounds that. like. Uh, Nick Clegg and uh... <laughs> hey, let's not bring let's not bring <laughs> politics into this, right? <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's all about creating an environment for change, and you need people to help you figure out what that change should look like. Um, and my my one one thing with finance is that what tends to happen is finance look very internally at their process without necessarily getting input from the wider organization. And I think that's a big mistake mm. because a lot of the pain points I find in finance teams are actually not driven by finance. They're driven by the other members of the organizations, you know, so they're driven by the ways, ways that sales work or the way that projects work. Um, and actually I think, so for me, a guiding coalition is a, a collection of individuals that can make sure that the changes go is on the right path. Yep. And to give it some some momentum and to give it some push. Um, and I also think it's important the people, collection of people that you pull together at different levels, because there is no point having lots of people at the top end that think, yes, this is amazing. But without any real idea of how the processes and the, the team actually operate. So I think it's important that you have not only input from other areas of the organization but that you actually have individuals at different levels within your team because not only is it a great um it's a great motivator to be involved in that kind of change project you know for junior members of a finance team that's an amazing you know cv enhancing moment that makes them feel valued um so you know think about who is actually going to help you drive drive and direct this change you know it doesn't mean others won't be involved but you know you've got to think about who who you're getting involved in designing the change process yeah and i can give a great example of that. going back to our printing out the invoice idea a few years ago i got involved in a shared services project we're actually working across five local authorities in scotland um unfortunately the project never came to fruition but that was all to do with politics rather than uh, the sense of doing the project and one of the things we were looking at sorting out was, was the finance function and we went into into the smallest of these five local authorities and we found out that every invoice they were making sure there was a paper copy of that invoice it was sent out to the appropriate person for the appropriate person to approve the invoice before it was sent back to be paid guess what biggest problem Oh, how many things aren't we paying on time? How many times are people shouting at us? How many times are we losing invoices and having to ask for a copy coming back? And actually, all of those problems had nothing to do with the finance function at all. It was to do with what the rest of the organisation wanted. So the, the logical change was, no, we're not going to print these invoices out. In fact, when we get a printed invoice coming in, we're going to scan it and we're going to get it electronically. We're going to email around copies of these invoices. But more to the point, if there's a purchase order and there's a delivery note and they both match the invoice, well, actually, guys, we're going to pay this invoice whether you've approved it or not. 
I think that's the piece. So when you're when I'm reviewing processes is that you need to fundamentally understand the the outcome that you want from that process. So what is what is the reason that you are sending things out for approval? Yeah. And I had I had one today where I was speaking to a client and they were uh, they were saying, well, you know, fundamentally, the reason we do this is we don't know whether those goods have come in the door. And exactly what you've Mm. said is that, well, if you record items as they come through the door, Mm. then that's, you know, there's no reason Mm. to not just pay that straight away. Or, you know, um, how how do you for you know, engineer the information so it's ready at the point that you're entering that invoice versus having to send it out afterwards. Now, there are some, uh, you know, sometimes where you have to, you know, we do um, a number of um, invoice approval routings, you know, where you have to automatically, particularly around budgets, etc. Um, and where there's not a physical or tangible good, sometimes actually you do need to send it out afterwards. But like you said, that that doesn't have to be all of the time. And if the PO is approved and you've received those items, why would you then send it for another round of approvals just for the sake of doing it? And I think that's that's an interesting piece. And I, I um, and also a delegation of authority. So I think a lot of, particularly in finance, we 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 just want everything to be perfect, yeah. And we have an apps as we should, a, a real fear of not being a hundred percent accurate. And I think sometimes that can create additional reconciliations and additional checks perhaps when it's not necessary so one of the things I like people to think about is well how do we highlight the exceptions and the times when you should look at it rather than check checking everything and actually flipping things on the head so don't check everything think about when you what what are the flags and the exceptions that you need to check and how do we identify those quickly so that you spend more time checking and focusing on the things that actually could be wrong rather than just, you know, wasting your time doing every single check possible. Yeah, so that's interesting. We've actually brought through into that conversation now all three of those people about those three components of people, process and system. Number one is we've got to have a system that's that's capable of handling these invoices electronically and getting the information in without all this rekeying. Number two is we need to turn the process on its head so that we're looking at exceptions rather than checking everything. But and number three is we've got to have all the people on board so that they accept there's a new way of working. In particular, that's the people outside of finance. Brilliant. There you go. Well, hey, yeah. we actually sound like we know what we're talking about here, Kelly. Yeah, we, might, we might be getting somewhere along that, that line, Hannah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the fascinating thing about a transformation is at its heart, it is both incredibly simple, but also incredibly complex. Mm. Um, and, and I think one of the biggest challenges people find is actually knowing where to start with with what they're doing. And, and, I, and I find that that's the biggest challenge is people, they want to transform everything or they don't they don't think anything needs to be transformed. And, mm. and you tend to it's really interesting you do tend to find people to be a one extreme the other and and also i find one of the other challenges that and we'll talk about this in terms of the next steps is that and um, people often perceive barriers where there are none so mm. they'll, they'll make assumptions around things that have to be and actually one of the most interesting pieces of being an external consultant is i don't have any preconceptions of why why things should work in a particular way and you're able to more effectively challenge yeah. and have conversations across the organization because you've done it across other organizations as well mm. so. and the most powerful question is just simply one word why why 
<laughs> you know what? I'm pretty sure most of my clients get sick of me asking that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, where's that? You know, you do try and frame it in different phrases. Why is that? Oh, can you tell me a bit more about the why behind that one? But yeah, I know it all comes down to one word, which is yeah. why and an understanding of why that process exists. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> there you go. Exactly. If you take one thing away from this podcast, it's it's ask the question why and ask it a lot and you might get somewhere. <laughs> but, and that's, that's very true. You can keep asking that why question, but... No, we've covered systems. Fine. You can go look at the three or four systems, do an evaluation, work out the, the one or two that are right for you, make a decision. You can look at those processes. You can you can move forward to, to best practice. You can ask those why questions. Okay. The hardest one for me, though, is people. How do you take people on that journey? No. For me, it comes, there's a couple of things that you need to do. So, fundamentally you need to it doesn't matter so I, I i actually i genuinely love change but i also at the same time i am genetically engineered to hate it <laughs> as well yeah, we so, are we are all genetically engineered to hate change <laughs> we are because it's 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 a, it's a threat isn't it at the end of the day and if you think about it see i love implementing new processes new systems but ask me to change my phone and I am not a happy bunny. So, you know, because you know where everything is, it's automatic, you've gotten used to it, yeah? So yeah. if you if you tie implementing a new system to, you know, changing your mobile phone, the core thing that you use day in, day out, and this is the, this is the way I like to think about it, right? So then you need to go back to, right, motivation to change. So why am I changing my phone? Because to be honest, it keeps crashing every time I go to use it. So what does that mean for the finance team? So, you know, classic you know um the, it's slow running i can't get the information out i need to i you know um think about the um the purchase invoices i can't process my purchase invoices because they're all being sent to the office and i can't do anything about it or my printer keeps running out of ink so you need to tie the urgency to change with a personal motivation for the individuals okay absolutely absolutely and from in my case if, if it's changing phone oh there's a new shiny one out i must have that <laughs> i don't have that problem <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's got a new camera on if you... Yeah, in fact, I'm feeling rather <laughs> rather in a difficult place at the moment because my iPhone 11 that I've only had for six months, there's, there's now an iPhone 12 out. So I'm going to have to find an excuse. And I actually bought this one on a three-year contract, which is a bit dangerous. <laughs> that's that's never a good idea, a three-year contract <laughs> for a phone. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking here, though, even if you give somebody that reason to change, change is still uncomfortable, isn't it? And I... I do teach bits and pieces of change in the classroom. I've got a lovely favourite exercise when I'm doing that, Hannah. To actually do it on the podcast and get the listeners to join in right now. And fold your arms the way you'd normally fold them. Right. Now, feeling nice and comfortable doing that? Yeah, fine. Right? Fold them <laughs> the opposite way. Horrid. Horrid. Okay. <laughs> absolutely horrid and if you'd just done that as you're sitting listening to us hopefully you weren't doing that while you're trying to drive the car uh that's the problem with change yeah no. change change and habit are kind of ingrained with each other habits become natural habits go into subconscious mind you just do them you ask somebody to do something different it takes thinking about it's not automatic. It feels very uncomfortable. And what's the first thing you want to do once you've crossed your arms the other way? You want to cross them back the way they were originally. Exactly. Yeah. 
And that's the biggest problem with change. People will try to revert to original state. <laughs> yes, well, there's, there's, there's a few theories around that as well. So a couple of things just in terms of what your listeners can try. So we talked a little bit about giving them a motivation to change. The second thing you've got to unpick is any barriers to change, right? So how do you stop it? So classic example, patch invoices. If, you know, if 50% of your suppliers still, you know, send in invoices through the post, yeah, and that person has to go in and scan them in, that's an extra step. That's a barrier to that person shifting to fully paperless, yeah? So why not, you know, and this is a very simple example, but send an email out to your suppliers saying, we are shifting to paperless um, sys processing. All invoices from this date need to be emailed, or you will you will include a th- an additional thirty days in terms of payment time. Yep, yeah. um, you know, or give them a give obviously give your suppliers a reason to change. But that immediately has removed the hassle and the barrier for that person processing it electronically. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, because it's coming in in an electronic format. So you've just saved your team you know the time it takes to drive to the office and pick up the massive stack of paper and also you know you've saved a few trees in the process um and also you've you've made it easier for them to shift into this new new piece so one of the things you need to think about as a leader of change is actually removing barriers so what could stop your um your team from from doing this yeah what what you know how do you get them to stop you know exactly what you said stop reverting it how do you make it easier so you know, it's like, you know, if you want to give up eating chocolate, you don't go to the shopping aisle, you know, the aisle at the checkout with all of the chocolate on the on the aisle. You go to the one with all the nuts and, you know, raisins because you're more, you're less likely to pick something up on the way out. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm not going to go and nibble nuts and raisins in the car <laughs> instead of a Twix. You're absolutely right, Anna. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think, you know, just applying some of those basic principles called nudge theory but applying some of those basic principles of change to you know your finance team how do you make it really easy for them to change how do you move the barriers Um, another classic example we often get is so we have automatic bank reconciliation processes yeah Um, Yeah. and we still see people that are literally doing their bank reconciliations with paper they're they're highlighting and crossing stuff out still they're they're physically printing that and i'm like Okay, so if we're going to move to a new automated reconciliation process, you need to stop typing in, you need to shift to importing or bank feeds or, you know, those kind of small steps, which makes that piece of the puzzle really easy and more natural. So actually to go backwards is more hard work than it is to go forwards. Yes. And if you can do those small changes, you know, and some of this stuff can actually happen before you go with a new piece of technology, because it's not, as I said, it's not all technology orientated. It's it's all about, it can also be about process. If you can make those changes to process before you even put in a new technology, then you're, and you would have seen this, you're already, you know, way ahead of where you would be. And you make it really hard for them to go back. Mm, yeah. And I, I, I think that actually one of the biggest mistakes you can make in finance transformation is simply take the processes you've already got and put them into the new system. That's such uh, a good point. You know, you you wouldn't you wouldn't sit in your new car in your dirty you know dirty garden clothes. So why would you take the rubbish across from your old system? Yeah, into your new one because yeah. it doesn't matter how good the system is. It's never if you've got bad processes. The tech, like I said at the beginning, technology could be amazing. 
but it, mm. it's not going to change a bad process. Yeah. And I, I think about my my last proper employer before I went independent. So we're going back, gosh, 10 years probably at this point. And we were in a position that we really had to take cost out of the organisation. The organisation was going south rapidly. It was all to do with the government cutbacks in 2010. And we looked at the back office. This organisation before 2010 had grown very, very fast. It had grown through acquisition. And it was very good at acquiring the right businesses and essentially telling those businesses to keep doing the things that they're good at without interfering with them too much. Problem was, the places that they should have interfered, they didn't. Mm. And the reason was because there was no burning platform. Um, So every business had its own back office still. And what should have happened was that they should have been brought into a combined corporate back office. No burning platform, so it never happened. So that's lesson one that we talked about earlier. But we got to 2010 and we had to take cost out. So we said, hang on, we are duplicating all over the place. Finance, we're duplicating HR, we're duplicating procurement, we're duplicating all sorts of things. We've got a load of reasonable sized businesses who are all doing it themselves. We need shared services and we need shared services fast. Now, a couple of years previously, the company as a whole had implemented SAP. But guess what? They'd implemented the same SAP system separately into every business, incorporating into that SAP system the way that business had always done stuff. They'd never stood back and done the bit at saying, well, hang on, this is our corporate way of doing something. So we thought creating shared service, single SAP system, great. We don't have a system selection. We just bring it in. We bring all the people together and we we can rationalize very, very easily until it finally dawned on us. Well, it might be one system, but we've got 10 different processes for purchase to pay. We've got 10 different processes for sales to receipt. We've got 10 different processes for managing expenses. Hang on a minute. Somebody's got something badly wrong when they implemented SAP, haven't they? And, and do you know what this this happens all the time? Like it, it's not it's not an unusual scenario. Um, in that everyone there is a perception in individual organisations where everyone thinks they are unique. Yeah, and and I think and that the way that they operate is particularly special. And it, and it, very often it is unique. The question is, does it need to be unique? Anna, over twenty years of consulting, I can absolutely say that every every client I've ever worked with has told me that they're different. Yes, Um, and it is, and they are, they have their idiosyncrasies and they have their pieces that we need to work around because some of it, because finance, you know, if when finance processes are done right, they can actually give you a, you know, a unique value within the market if it's done well. So, um, you know, if you think about speed, the, the delivery of, you know, the speed of being able to deliver a service, a lot of that depends on how quickly finance can process. So, there is some areas where they have to work in a particular way to deliver their unique value as an organization. But those kind of requirements are fairly few and far between. And what it tends to be driven by is by requirements from other areas of the business that don't understand the impact that they're having on finance. 
mm-hmm. and by individuals that have been there a very long time and haven't um, have and some of them have you know have passed knowledge on have used systems you know have never been trained fully on how to use a system properly and so have brought bad habits across and taught the next person he's then taught the person after that and they've just not had the time to sit back and look at it and we see this so very often um, and actually some of those, you know, those different processes across different organizations and using exactly the same system, some of it will be set up in configuration, um, but a lot of it will be how somebody has remembered to use the system after they've gone live. Hmm. And they've never had an ongoing um, support or reviews as part of their processes and how to actually get more out of their system and use it in an effective way. And um, I do find that interesting in terms of use, you know, 10, same system bought by the same group, all using, you know, the same platform, but all using it very differently. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> I can only imagine, because how, you know, the problem is, is you've now got to come back to people, right? And this is why I say people are the, one of the most important, if not the most important elements is how do you convince the others in the groups? Because of those processes, one could be right or it could be an amalgamation of two or three of those processes that are actually the one to be used how do you convince everyone of the need to change to that new process and how do you get them to to understand why they need to make that change yeah now that that was a fun exercise and remembering back to the 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 scottish example i gave you remember we ran some very very interesting workshops there where literally we we got lots of people from each of the five client organizations into the room and we very painfully over two or three days walk <laughs> through every process at a high level what a what a process what a generic process for a public sector local authority should be should be doing and saying well okay you've all got a green card a yellow card or a red card right now we get we walk through the process, and if that process works for you, it's a green card. Okay. okay. If you could see that that process works for you, but it's a bit different to what you're doing now, and you're just not quite so sure about it, well, yellow card. And if that process won't work for you, it's a red card. So over the five local authorities, which theoretically should have all been doing things in much the same way, we were getting the interesting situation where one would green card it, and another would red guard it. <laughs> so the, the simple thing to do then, rather than us step in as consultants, is simply say, okay, you guys, you gave this a green card. Now explain to the people that have given this a red card why it should work. <laughs> That's it. Well, what you've done there is you've built that guiding coalition that we talked yeah. about earlier. So yeah. you've actually built people from different levels of the organisation, yeah, and you've actually brought them in together and asked yeah. them, to, to discuss that and there there are loads of different ways and I I have I think process mapping is a really interesting one because I, yeah. I don't know about you but I've seen it done really well and I've seen it done really badly yeah um, and it, it can turn into a bit of a beast in itself can't it oh like, it can, it can turn into an entire cottage industry can process mapping yeah and so and I, I think this is the piece that it scares people because they're like if we're going to start this we'll never stop you know mm. we'll, we'll never get to the bottom and I, I think the, the piece that people need to remember is that you need to you foc- focus on the quick wins. So this is another thing that really helps people engage in change, which is you, you small wins, small changes to processes that generate immediate value 
and you know can can help establish the authority and the need for change and it does give people a buzz when they you implement something small but it actually has a big difference on them and Mm. their teams if you can create small wins you are more likely to establish that change than if you just go say right this is the massive change we're going to take it's going to take us three months right this is everything that we're going to do you know or six months 12 months however long it is um but if you can make some small wins and some small changes or the the what is it the view of the fact that you know or the I won't say I'm not gonna say fake it but you know what I mean like give them give them a chance to say yes I've done that or to you know whether it's tick lists or what have you and a, a sense of achievement I think is what I'm trying to say here then you know you will um you will get somewhere so even just getting those people into that room and getting them to an agreement point is an is a small is a win you know? yeah and, and it would have made them all go, actually, yes. Okay, I've had my say. So I've been part of the coalition. I've agreed on this. So I've now got to go away and make this happen because otherwise I'm going to look bad. And yep. you know, and we've actually achieved something. So I didn't think this was possible, but we've actually made the win of getting that process. Yeah. And to me, that, that's, that's part of making the people change work is making the individuals think that it's their solution that they've designed. Absolutely. And there's ways you can do that. So, you know, it's, a lot of it's in language. Have you considered? Yes. Right? Don't, never, never tell somebody how to do something unless they ask you to. Mm-hmm. The language, have you considered what it would mean if? Have you considered trying this? Have you ever tried this? Or, have you know, ask it as a question yeah. and allow them to figure it out. And I, I must admit, if I, I think, one of the biggest challenges with implementing software is you have a limited amount of days in which to get it in. And I would yeah. love to spend a huge amount of time helping people find the change. And um, thought, yeah. Yeah. That, that to me as well is the, the problem why a lot of change is never the benefits and never realized because yeah. you have a limited number of days to put that software in. And you suddenly find that there's a, there's a tech problem linking system A to system B. And suddenly you've put a whole load of effort into sorting the tech problem out. And you might be building something from scratch. So there's a whole lot of effort goes into the, the, user, the, the user testing process and so on. And you lose sight on why you're making the change in the first place, simply because all the focus has gone into, we've got to make the tech work. So this is why at the beginning of every, so we, the way we implement, so, and it's for anybody, and this applies regardless of whether it's a technology change or a non-technology change, is state your objectives. What are you actually trying to achieve? And when you hit a, a snag or a barrier, you need to roll back to that original objective. You need to write it down and stick it on a wall somewhere. Absolutely. You know, stick it in the head of a group or, you know, Slack or whatever you're using. And actually be very clear as to what you're trying to achieve. So one of the classics is month end, right? So, you know, I I go into people, I, I've, I've been into people that it takes them like over a month to actually close the previous month, six weeks to close a month end. And, and you know, and we get people down to days, you know, it, it's, and, you know, people that are taking two weeks, well, you know, our aim is to get them to five days, five working days, close a month end. And that, that to me, there, there are two places that I think you can save a lot of money in finance and really improve the service you're giving the rest of the business. And that's number one is month end. Mm -hmm. The faster you get the result out, 
the more meaningful it is. And reporting a result that's three weeks old is like driving a car through the rearview mirror. Fine, but look, what about that great big tree that's lying across the road in front of you that you're about to hit? Oh, too late, we've hit it. Well, that's it. And this is the concept. So we talk, a lot, we're starting to talk a lot more about, and this is this is an interesting term, so continuous case. So mm. how do we get people to a point where they don't actually do a physical, you know, month end? It might be on the 30th, they produce a formal board pack. Yeah. But actually, how do you shift to a continuous close? And for a lot of um, guessing your listeners, that'll be like a really foreign current concept. You know, I can't close it in two weeks, let alone do it, you know, it'd be right at each time. But if you unpick... Okay, classic example. So for those businesses that are in um, software, so they're doing subscriptions, one of the biggest tasks they tend to do is at the end of the month, they'll do their revenue rec. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they'll post their revenue recognition journals. Well, why are you doing it at the end of the month? At the point of entry, you know when that revenue should be posted. Yep. So actually the technology is now able to, to at the point of entry, the point you enter your contract or your invoice, you just make sure it picks up the correct dates and it posts it automatically. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so, so yeah. the, the other great situation where finance can really save money is budget. Yeah. The organisation that spends months and months and months over its budget process, it has two, three, four rounds of the budget where the figures are coming in, they're not right, they're being adjusted and so on. The amount of time that that takes is huge. You know what, in my experience, putting loads and loads of budgets together, is the, the answer you thought of first is usually the one that's right. <laughs> Do you know what, there could be a study on that. <laughs> of the, from the original budget, how many, you know, how far and off was it? <laughs> that's going back, and we, we had a horrendous budget process when I worked back in ICI in the chemical industry as a business accountant. And you could tell that you, you put the original budget in up to divisional board. Divisions said, no, you're not making enough profit, guys. Go and think again. And then you'd get it past divisional board. And then the whole division would go up to corporate and corporate would tell division, no, you're not making enough profit, guys. Go and think again. And you knew fine well as this hockey stick approach to, to forecasting the next three years was going together. And you're changing your assumptions to give them the profit they wanted. Now, guess what? You turned the first year into your budget. Three months in, you were reporting the variance. And guess what? If you'd put the original budget you first thought of in there, there wouldn't be a variance. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I think if you put that in today's context, when you're looking at the shift in terms of COVID and the changes that are happening, businesses cannot afford to spend months doing budgets because by the time they've done it, it's out of date. Exactly. Exactly. I love the idea of rolling forecasts personally. Yeah. yeah. And Hannah, that. That has been an absolutely fascinating trip through transformation. I'm just conscious that we've probably gone way over the 30 minutes that we're, we normally allow for these podcasts. But we, I think we could probably go and talk about this all afternoon. We must come back and have a separate session at some occasion. That, that has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you. No, it's been lovely to talk to you, Kevin, and thank you for sharing your experiences as well. It's great to hear it's not just, not just me that's experienced all of this as well. So thank you for, uh, for being a great host. Right.